A father and a son were climbing around some cliffs one day when the father heard a voice from above him yelling, Hey, Dad, catch me! Immediately, the father turned around to see his son joyfully jumping off a rock straight at him. <gasps> Catching him, but falling to the ground, the father gasped in exasperation. Can you give me one good reason why you did that? He responded with remarkable calmness. Sure, because you're my dad. His whole assurance was based in the fact that his father was trustworthy. He could live life to its fullest because his father could be trusted. The same can be said about our Heavenly Father. God's word has been tried and his promises has been tested that he is a man of his word and you can place your trust in his word. Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. It's difficult to know who to trust anymore. And this week, Charles Tapp wants you to learn to hold on to the promises found in God's Word and challenges you to claim these promises as you begin a new year. As he shares his message, tried and tested. A message from today comes from the book of 2 Peter. And I think it's important, even though we'll just be focusing on these four verses of 2 Peter chapter 1, that we get an idea of the purpose for which 2 Peter was written. And it's different from that of 1 Peter, which many take that to give credence to the fact that Peter didn't actually write 2 Peter because it's so different from 1 Peter. And it almost sounds like you hear a little Paul when you read Peter's words. The message in 1 Peter was to encourage Christians as they were under the severe threat of violent persecutions. But when it comes to the book of 2 Peter, we find that Peter's purpose here in writing this book, this letter, is twofold. Number one, he wanted to expose the false teachers for what they really were. And even today, in our time, there are many false teachers spreading false doctrine because we've got the internet and, and social media and YouTube and all the rest they are much more widespread in their approach. And secondly, as it relates to Second Peter, Paul's goal here is to provide guidance and structure for the believers and helping them to learn how to survive as they were being confronted with doctrinal and moral perversions that had begun to enter, infiltrate rather, the ranks of the church. As the theologian John Scott, one of my favorite theologians, puts it, he says in relationship to 2 Peter, he says, Second Peter is a homily on Christian growth that has been set in the context of threats to Christian civilities. Now, this sounds like a somewhat daunting task for Peter, someone who at times was not known for being the most stable of Christ's 12 apostles. But as we shall see here in just these 
four verses of Second Peter chapter 1, I believe Peter here hits a home run. I believe that he does not miss the mark. So let's go to Second Peter this morning, chapter 1, and we're just for now going to focus on the first half of the verse, and we'll come back to the second half in a minute. Simon Peter, as he's introducing himself here in his letter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, for many of us, we will just read that casually and just continue to move on. But this is Peter's way of introducing himself. And I believe that how a person introduces him or herself can tell us a great deal about that individual and how they perceive themselves. Notice what Peter says here. He first refers to himself as Simon and then Peter. Simon being the name that he was given at birth, Peter meaning Petros, the name he was given by Jesus, when Peter gave the declaration in Matthew chapter 16 that Jesus was not just any ordinary rabbi or teacher, but that Jesus was the very embodiment of the Son of God, that he was the Messiah. But could it also be here that Peter uses both of these names, one representing his path, the other representing his God-ordained purpose. And could it even be that, that Peter uses both of these names in his introduction as a way of not only reminding and encouraging himself, but also to remind the believers of that day and to encourage them what can happen in an individual's life when they place themselves under the mighty hand of God. Could it have been Peter's way of saying, listen, before Jesus, I was nobody, but now because of Jesus, I am now an apostle. I believe Peter himself was even surprised that he had reached the heights that he had. But notice here, he doesn't just begin by introducing himself as an apostle, which has a much weightier uh, task to it, but Peter here introduces himself first as a bond servant, as a slave, recognizing that the most important thing with him was the fact that he was a servant of God first. Regardless of whatever position or title we may possess in this life, if we want to call ourselves Christians, first and foremost, we are a servant of Jesus Christ. Could it have been, this was Peter's way of saying, that because Jesus had changed his name, he was also changing Peter's purpose as well as his relationship with God. Growing up, as I did in the Baptist tradition, there was music I just loved to hear. There was this one gospel song in particular that's titled, I told Jesus it would be all right if you change my name. Who knows that? I know you know it, Patrick. 
I told Jesus. The very first verse, you got to go on YouTube and just, and just plug it in there. The very first verse, all the singer, the vocalist says is, I told Jesus it would be all right if he changed my name. I told Jesus it would be all right if he changed my name. That was Peter's way of saying, I told Jesus it would be all right if he changed my name. And by changing Peter's name from Simon to Peter, Peter Petros the Rock, he was saying, Peter, I am changing your purpose and I am changing your relationship with me now. No longer are you an unstable rock, but now you are a rock, a firm rock, a rock that can be built upon. The question I have for God's people today in 2020, has Jesus changed your name? Or are you still the same person you've always been? I also get the idea here from Peter's introduction that Peter was never impressed by titles. And I don't think if someone would address Peter without using the title apostle, I don't think Peter would be one of those who would get upset. There are some people that if you don't address them by their title, they get upset. I have seen it happen over and over again. Not here. Seriously, not here, but in other places. Where if you didn't say doctor, <coughs> excuse me, that's Dr. Smith. You don't see that here. But I don't see Peter as being one that when he was addressed by individuals, if they didn't use the title Apostle Peter, uh, excuse me, it's Apostle Peter. Peter was humble now because Jesus had changed his name. And Peter continues this thread of humility as he goes on to address his audience in the latter part of verse 1, chapter 1 of 2 Peter 2. Look at what he says. To those who have obtained what? Like Precious faith with us. Underline that if you can. Highlight it. Like precious faith with us by, he says, the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. At first glance here, Peter's words may sound as though they're just part of a casual way of greeting the saints, but there's a great deal more here. For Peter is making a very important point, not only for those possible Gentile and Jewish audience that he was speaking to, but for Christians in every age, which includes our age even until this very day. And what Peter is saying is this, that the same faith that he and all the other apostles had, please don't miss this, is the same precious faith that you and I can have today. And the reason why the faith that we can have is no different from the faith that they had is because Peter says it's all built in the foundation of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. In other words, there was no advantage because of one's position or calling or office when it came to their faith. And there was no disadvantage based on how long you have been in the faith or how short you have been in the faith. 
as a believer because it's all precious faith because it's all built on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus himself said, if you and I just have faith the size of what? Size of a mustard seed, we can move mountains because it's not the size of our faith that makes the difference. It's who we put our faith in that makes the difference. This becomes even clearer by the word Peter uses here when he says, we've obtained this precious faith. This word obtained is only used three times in the New Testament. And it refers to not something that has been acquired by someone, but yet it refers to something that has been given to someone. So in essence, Peter is saying, the faith, the precious faith that you have and the other apostles have and I myself have is not something I generated in and of myself, but it is a faith that came from God. And please don't miss this. Because it came from God and not from Peter and not from you or not from me, Peter's saying there's no need for us to brag about the faith that we have. So what does that say to me? What does that say to you? That the same faith that a woman like Esther had, the same faith that an Abraham had, the same faith that a Moses had is the same faith you and I have today. Why? Because it has its foundation in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Moses didn't have an advantage. Esther didn't have an advantage. It's the same Faith, the same faith that helped them through their challenging situations and circumstances that God called them to is the exact same faith that will carry us through not only 2020, but in the years to come if Christ decides not to return. But here's the challenge when it comes to this thing called faith. And that is that there's a part of faith that is an intellectual ascent, meaning I see something and I say I believe that. And that's where most of our faith is and remains as believers, as Christians. We believe that God is. We believe that God exists. But just because you believe something doesn't make you a believer. Why do I say that? Because James reminds us that even the demons and the devils believe, but they're not believers. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, what is the difference between believing and being a believer? It is the issue and the dimension of trust. I can believe something is, but until I trust in the fact that that is, I'm not a believer. Let me show you what I'm talking about. This is a chair. The purpose of a chair is to support someone, correct? I believe that's a chair. I believe that chair can support me. Am I a believer? It's not a trick question. No. I'm not a believer until I place my trust in what I say I believe. 
So if I believe that this is the chair which was designed and built to support me, if I'm going to be a believer, I've got to place my trust in that and act like I believe that. You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, Tried and Tested. And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this. I'm going to take a moment and just recommend that you breathe. Now, there are all kinds of breathing techniques that you can use. One is count to 10, you know, breathing in, count to 10, breathing out, kind of hold it in the middle, you know, breathing in His grace and breathing out His praise. Whatever you choose, breath is really important. And this time of year, you know, you may have a cold or you may have the flu and it's restricting your breathing. So you know just how important that is. God has given you that breath. In Acts, Paul wrote this, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands, and he is not served by human hands, as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. And so take a moment and take a deep breath and stay encouraged. To get more encouraging content, go to WGTS919.com. This is Simple Truths for Life, and it's difficult to know who to trust anymore. This week, Charles Tapp helps you learn to hold on to the promises found in God's Word and claim them as you begin a new year. As he continues with the rest of his message, tried and tested. Here's the question today. Which are you? Do you just believe or are you a believer? Why do you think we as Christians call ourselves believers? Not because we believe intellectually that God exists, that God is, but because we have placed our trust in the God we say we believe in, so we call ourselves what? Believers. Well, if I'm a believer, then my life should reflect the fact that I place my trust in God. Let's look at verse 2. Again, we're only looking at these four verses. Peter says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Please don't miss what Peter's saying. And I believe that he is saying that the deeper you and I go into a relationship with God and the more intimate we become known by God and we know him, we will have a greater understanding of our need for grace. Because I see how holy God is and I I see how unholy I am. So Paul says when you come into a knowledge of God, and knowledge here, he's not talking intellectual knowledge, he's talking intimate knowledge. Then he says to us in his letter here that At that moment, you and I will come to a greater understanding of our need of grace. And what I mean by grace, I'm talking about the generous heart of God who determines to treat sinners, by the way, that's you and me, as he lovingly wishes instead as what we actually deserve. And that's why I always ask the question, do you really want from God what you deserve. 
For there are many who believe that God has somehow shortchanged them. And I'll ask them the question, well, do you really want to receive from God what you deserve? See, you and I deserve death. But because of God's love, we can now have this thing called grace. And the closer you and I get to God, the more we understand our need of grace because where sin abounds, what does grace do? It abounds much, much more. So when Paul says that he wants this grace and peace to be multiplied, in essence, he's saying, I want you to get to know God through Jesus Christ more and more every day. And the more we get to know God through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the more we recognize our need for him every single day of our lives. Let's go to verse 3. As his divine power, talking about God's divine power, has given to us all things that pertain to what? Life and what? Godliness through, he tells us how we get it, through the knowledge of him. And the word knowledge here again is talking about relationship through the knowledge of him who called us by his glory and his virtue. Peter is saying that God's divine power, and by divine power, he's talking about the same power that God used to create the world, to create the universe. By that same divine power, not only can God impact our lives, through this amazing thing called grace. But Peter says it is also through this divine power that God can provide for us everything we need for life and what? Godliness. Peter is not talking about two separate things. He's not saying that God will provide us everything for life and then everything for godliness. This was Peter's way of saying that God will provide for us everything we need to live godly. To live a godly life. Through the same power, divine power that God used to create the world, that same divine power. And the more and more you and I develop a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the more and more we come to the conclusion that we can't make another day without that power. Who says amen? But I love what Peter says. And that's why I said, you know, I, I know theologians say, well, Peter wrote this, but this sounds too deep for Peter. You could easily put Paul's name there. Peter is saying that the same divine power that God used to create the world God can recreate you and me from just being one who believes to one who is now what? A believer. Let's go to verse 4, our final verse in this passage. Probably the most pregnant of the four verses. Peter says, by which, and he's referring to God's glory and virtue, his character, by which have been given to us exceedingly what? Great and precious promises. 
that through these, talking about the promises, you may be partakers, listen to this, of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. How many of you know this world is corrupt? Getting more corrupt by the day. What does Peter say? Simply this. There's a twofold message here. The first being that the promise in which God makes to his people are sure. You can count on them because they are pledged in his virtue and glory. One of the best compliments you can pay to someone is to say that that man or that woman is a man or woman of his or her word. Do you know anybody like that? Do you know somebody like that when they tell you they're going to do something, they actually follow through and do it? You know anybody like that? Better question, are you that somebody? It's still quiet. We're in trouble now, folks. Peter is saying here that God's word has been tried and his promises has been tested that he is a man of his word, that his word is bond. And you can place your trust in his word. Look at Hebrews chapter 6. Only going to look at two verses here, 13 and verse 14. For when God made a promise, to Abraham because he could swear by no one what greater he swore by him what himself you and I may say well God is my witness what well, God said myself is my witness because every promise I make is sure my word is bond you can believe in them better yet you can place your trust in them and that's why they're precious because God always comes through on his word the second part of Peter's message in verse 4 is that because God's promises are sure and because they're infallible they've been tried and tested they can be given to us as a source of strength for when we're about to give in or when we're about to give up so we're going to make it through this new year and beyond. We need to start claiming every day, every week, a promise in God's word. Trust me, it will be the source of strength and comfort. I'm not telling you about what I read. I'm telling you what I know. Several years ago, I shared with you, and some of you may not have been here then, when I was pastoring in New York City in Brooklyn. I was in a terrible car accident and ended up taking the life of an elderly woman. And when that happened to me, my life literally shut down. I stopped talking to my family and to friends. I went inside this cocoon. And what made it even worse, if it could get any worse, the family called our home to threaten our lives. And we had to call in the detectives to come to the home. And the detective said, you need to get up out of here. Don't park your car 
in the same place. I put my family on a plane and sent them straight to Florida. And all of this was going on in our lives. And trust me when I tell you this, the only reason I am standing here today in sound mind and body is because I claimed a promise of God. I clung to that promise as if it were the most valuable thing in my life. And at that time, I guess you could say it was. It is the promise that God makes in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. And we know all things work together for good. You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, Tried and Tested. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. Now, here's what we're working on for next week. All of us want to grow and progress in our spiritual walks, but we don't want the problems that are the very vehicles, that are the very tools that God uses to help us to mature and to help us to grow. That's a sample of what you'll hear next week as Pastor Charles Tapp begins a four-part series you won't want to miss titled God's Good Work. Well, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll plan to join us again next week for more Simple Truths for Life.